0: Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, you can flip open to the book of Luke, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 23. For our last time worshiping together in the year 2020, I decided that we ought to spend some time considering the forgiveness of Jesus. Who Jesus is, what he has done for us, and how it changes us, and how it changes our lives, changes reality here on planet Earth. CBS News uh, carried a story back in 2005. Um, you probably have not seen it. It was not, um, there was not much fanfare around it. Some 15 years ago, this took place. But it was about a fellow named Jameel McGee. Jameel McGee is an African-American man uh, who, at the time, and perhaps still does now, lived in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Jameel was accused and arrested for dealing drugs and was sentenced to 10 years. Uh, Jamil, as the one who is accused, like many people, uh, claimed that he was innocent, claimed that um, the whole story had been made up, that he did not do the things that he was accused of. That is not unusual. Many people in his situation will make such a claim. What is unusual, though, is that the police officer who accused him came to eventually agree with him, former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Jamil, reflecting on the experience, said, quote, "...I lost everything. My only goal was to find him, to find this police officer that had genuinely, falsely accused him. My only goal was to find him when I got home and to hurt him. Andrew, the police officer, was eventually caught for, among other things, falsifying police reports, stealing, and was sentenced to 37 months in jail for his crimes." Jamil then was released, but at that point, he had already spent four years in prison for a crime that he did not commit. Uh, Andrew, the police officer, in telling his part of the story said, honestly, I have no explanation. I just want to tell him that I'm sorry. Here is what should stand out to us, though. What should amaze us is that Jamil forgave him. Jamil forgave This cop, when asked why did you forgive him, Uh, did you do it for your sake um, or did you do it for his sake, Jamil answered, I did it for both of our sake. And Andrew just said, he doesn't owe me that. I don't deserve that, and he doesn't owe me that, but I'm thankful for it nonetheless. Um, In CBS's story, they shared that now, today, both of these men work together at a place called Cafe Mosaic, which is a faith-based coffee shop there in their city. But what you will not hear CBS News share is that both of these men are Christians, and that both of these men gave their lives to Jesus and experienced forgiveness from him while in a prison cell. Radically different circumstances, but found the need for forgiveness and found forgiveness in Jesus. I've got a picture here uh, of them today. Today, they share their story in this coffee shop and in the Associated Community Development Center. Today, Andrew is a pastor. The former police officer is a pastor at a Wesleyan church and also works with Young Life in the city. Jamil works with AmeriCorps and the emergency shelter service that helps the homeless get off the streets. Forgiveness changed everything. But what was the source of it? Let's look at the Scripture now this morning because, as I'm sure you are well aware, in recent years, and certainly in 2020, the relationship between specifically African-Americans in our country and police officers has been difficult, strained, to say the least. But what I want you to see here is, first of all, that as Christians— We find ourselves in a difficult situation in those moments because we have experienced the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Therefore, we love both. We love all people. We love people of every single race, and we love people of every single profession. And so we love and we care for African Americans who find themselves in difficult situations of injustice, and we find and we care about and we love police officers in all of the challenges that they face as well. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from the Scripture, and it comes from Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 23 and see what Jesus teaches us about the power of forgiveness as it specifically relates to two men who are dealing with their own sinful circumstances. I'm going to begin in verse 32, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 43. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, "'Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do.'" Speaking of those who were crucifying him, forgive them. "'And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, "'He saved others, let him save himself.'" If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Let's take a moment. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your one and only Son, Jesus, to bring this forgiveness. We thank you that, God, in your perfection, and your amazing glory, that you are fully just and that you are fully filled with grace. And Lord Jesus, we look to you in all things. Lord, would you warm our hearts this morning and remind us of the goodness of your grace and your mercy and your, Lord, your love towards us. Father, let us apply it to our hearts. Change us from the inside out, we pray. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Four applications from God's word this morning that we see in this story all wrapped around the power of the forgiveness of Jesus. Number one is this, the truth of our sin. We are all the criminal. Look at verse 32 and 33 one more time. Two others who were Criminals, says the Scripture, were led away to be put to death with Him, and when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Him and the criminals, one on His right and one on His left. Criminals, it's a powerful word. It can be an offensive word, particularly when used to destroy, and so I use it with caution. It's an ugly word. It stands for ugly things. And I don't want to lose you when I say this, but I want you to understand that the Scripture teaches a hard reality that is offensive, that we are all in our standing spiritually before a holy and righteous God, criminal. We are guilty. We have done things wrong. There is no value in comparing, well, my sins are better or worse than this other person because the reality is that we all, outside of Jesus' grace, Stand before God as a criminal and stand guilty. These two men were both clearly guilty. We don't know exactly what they did, but aside from the specific thing that they did that put them on the cross that day, we know that their lives were lives of sinners just like our own. And they are, we are told by the scripture, justly deserved the punishment of death. And again, we also stand guilty before a holy God who is perfect in His justice. How do we know that? Well, because the Scripture tells us. Romans 3.23, we like to quote it when we're talking about somebody else, but not necessarily when thinking about ourselves, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that is not all that the Scripture says. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Genesis 6-5, it says that the Lord looked over creation and He assessed the people of the world and it says every inclination of their heart was only evil all the time. That's trouble. That's a huge problem. As I've shared with you before, I gave my life to Jesus when I was about 16 years old. I understood that I was a sinner. I was willing to to accept that fact. But I would say after becoming a believer was the moment that I began to fully understand just how much of a sinner I was and how much of God's grace that I needed and that I really and truly could not be good enough to just save myself. That is the stumbling block that so many of us cannot seem to get over and the reality of Scripture that even if you break one law, that you stand guilty before God. This is why they crucified Jesus. And in that crucifixion, he took on all of the worst of our guilt and our shame, the entire world. And we know that crucifixion was and still is probably the worst death, human death, that anybody could experience. The beatings, the nails in his wrists and feet, the blood, and the slow, painful death by asphyxiation. Jesus suffered worse than anyone for all time, not just because of the physical death. Certainly, there are two other men who are experiencing the same physical death, but because Jesus had experienced the joy of heaven. Jesus was one with God the Father, and he left paradise and came here and was crucified for sins he did not commit and was willingly separated from God the Father and experienced the horror of hell and separation from God the Father. Which is why he cries out just before he gives up his spirit and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we need to understand Jesus was right where he intended to be. Luke 19.10 says he came to seek and to save the lost. This is why he came. This is why we celebrate Christmas. He came and he came for this, to rescue us as criminals. Number two, the forgiveness of the Father. We see here specifically in the Trinity the beauty of the forgiveness that the Father brings. Look at verse 34 and 35. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide His garments, and the people stood by watching Jesus asked the Father to forgive them. Nothing changes about what they are doing. And this should be absolutely amazing to us to think of the injustice of this moment. How could Jesus ask for them to be forgiven? Think back to the story that we began with. How could you do that? Isn't this wrong? Jesus is praying for his enemies, praying for his tortures, he's praying for people who are legitimately guilty. How could he pray for this kind of, quote-unquote, injustice? I'm going to tell you another story. This is a story of James and Vera. James and Vera had been together since they were 20 years old, but from the beginning, her family warned her about his bad temper. When James asked Vera to marry him, the family was concerned, and Vera's father, a Methodist pastor, specifically prayed that God would protect her from him in this relationship. After three years of being married, she separated from him and filed for divorce based on repeated physical abuse in their relationship. And on November 20th, 1984, James Leggett murdered his ex-wife, Vera Baker. James was arrested and sentenced to 40 years, but was eligible for parole after 20 years. She had a big brother. Her brother's name was Bert. In an interview, he said, I made that man's release date my ATM PIN number so that I would constantly be reminded of the day that he was going to get out of jail so that I could find him and do to him what he had done to my sister." Fifteen years go by, 15 years into James' prison sentence, and he began to talk to God. He admitted that he was a sinner. He admitted that he had massive problems with anger and violence and that he genuinely had killed his ex-wife. He admitted that he had a problem that he needed Jesus to forgive And as he began to experience the forgiveness of Jesus and gave his life to Christ, became a Christian while in prison, it led him to write a letter to her family and to also ask them for forgiveness, understanding that they may or may not even respond, but he wanted them to know what had changed in his life, and he wanted to ask for their forgiveness. Can you imagine? What are your thoughts? Where's your heart when you get that letter? All over the place. This was the response of Vera's dad. He wrote back to him and said, I forgive you for murdering my daughter Vera. And he quoted this passage, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This very passage enabled him to forgive. But then big brother Bert read the letter. said, I'm not forgiving him. Over time, though, over the next several years, he decided, yes, I will forgive James. But he said, I'll forgive him, but I don't have to eat with him. I don't have to like him. I don't have to have a relationship with him. This is a picture behind me now that was taken in 2002. This is the entire family. This is Bert. This is dad. This is mom. And that's James all the way at the end. James was released from prison in 2002. And today, James and Bert serve together in what's called Kairos prison ministry, and maybe you've heard of it. Uh, If you ask them what they are most grateful for, they will tell you it is the power of forgiveness. They will both tell you we are no longer prisoners of unforgiveness. I personally got to hear them preach on a Kairos prison ministry weekend in 2013 in Palatka, Florida. And this is what these two men together have dedicated their lives to, is going into prisons to share their story about the forgiveness of Jesus. What about us? God the Father, he forgave the very people who murdered his only son. He forgives the guilty. He forgives us, and he can forgive you. And you know what? He's the only one who can that will change where you spend eternity. Because God is fully merciful, and he's fully just. Well, what does that mean? Merciful in that God does not want to punish sin. He is filled with mercy, and yet he is fully just, and he must punish sin. But for, before the foundations of the world, he knew that he would send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to satisfy both his perfect mercy and his perfect justice. The father pursues his rebellious children. The judge himself becomes the defendant in the chair when we would not and we could not receive his grace on our own. You know, as you think about this story and what's taking place, let me just make an observation about the fact that they, they respond to what Jesus has said by casting lots to, they're rolling dice to see who's going to get Jesus' garment. Don't be yet another person who sees what Jesus has done, who hears of his grace, and all you are interested is walking away with is, is the physical things of this life. Those people heard and saw the gospel on display, and they did not do anything about it. They were more concerned about what was immediately in front of them, the stuff of this life, But at the same time, the Bible says that there were others that were watching. And we know from Matthew, Mark, and Luke's description of this story that there was in particular a Roman soldier, maybe the most unlikely of all, and this man, when he saw what Jesus said and when he saw what Jesus did, he responded in that moment and said, surely this man was the Son of God. He believed in that moment, and I think we will see that Roman soldier in heaven one day. Number three, though, there's the forgiveness of the son. Jesus sacrificed himself. This is how this takes place. Look at verse 35. Beginning in the second half of verse 35, the rulers scoffed at him, scoffed at Jesus, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one... The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews, also there to mock him. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. I want you to just notice here, first of all, that Jesus is being attacked by everybody every different sort of position in life. You've got rulers, you've got soldiers, and you've got criminals from high to low. They all are attacking Jesus. What's the application? I think maybe it's this. Stop waiting for Jesus to be popular before you make him Lord of your life. There is never going to be a time when Jesus is popular In our world. And if you are looking to the people who are significant, quote unquote, in our world and in our culture, they will mislead you every time. The celebrities, politicians, news networks, and government, most of them today, hate Jesus the way that they did 2,000 years ago. And that is not going to change. And so if you are under the age of 18, do not build your life on what is popular, build your life on Jesus. If you are over 18, do not build your life on what is popular, build your life on Jesus. Three times they mock him and they say, why don't you save yourself? It's a very insightful question, isn't it? Why don't you just save yourself? If you're the son of God, you could hop off that cross, right? He could. They gloat over his horrific death. And guys, if we had been there, we would have been doing the same thing. They mock his claim. If you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Son of God, if you're the King of the Jews, if you're the Chosen One, if you're able to save, then, then just do it. They don't know and they don't see. He is doing it, right? He is doing it. That's the power of the gospel. Jesus is the only king, the only savior who loves his enemies, who wins by loosing, who lives by dying, who saves by being unsaved, and who brings life by being killed, and who brings my innocence and your innocence by taking on our guilt. They thought he could not save himself. The reality is that he would not save himself because he sacrificed himself so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life so says john 3:16 he came as our substitute our sacrifice and our substitute see because if i die for your sins what do i accomplish for you nothing there's nothing that i can do the difference is this jesus wasn't guilty Jesus had committed no sin, and so He is a substitute for all who will believe, all who have believed. Jesus takes our guilt at the cross and trades it with His perfect righteousness and holiness. He took our guilt, and He took God's just wrath and justice for sin and gifts us His purity, His righteousness, His perfect life, adopts us into His family. He is the priest, the great high priest, who sacrifices and substitutes not a lamb, but is himself the lamb. He is the king, the king of kings, who has conquered, past tense, sin, Satan, and death. He reigns victoriously even today, and one day he will return to take us home to be with him. Amen? And he makes that exact promise, doesn't he? He ends with number four, the promise of heaven. Today you will be with me in paradise. Verse 40, the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You get two responses, right? One mocks him and rejects him, and the other admits, we're guilty. I'm guilty. Save me. There's only two responses, right? There's no third option here. He looked at Jesus and confessed that he was guilty and asked for forgiveness. Reminds me of the hymn, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. This man literally got to do that as Jesus hung on a cross to save him. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Faith is incredibly simple, isn't it? He doesn't have it all figured out. We look to this passage often for a a specific theological reality, and that is this guy became a believer within minutes of his death. He did not know all the stuff. He did not have his theology all worked out. He never attended a church service, but he saved, and we'll see him in heaven. Faith is simple. I believe that I'm a sinner, and I believe that Jesus can do something about it eternally. He died to save me, and he asked. That's it. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, in heaven, in my family. As we think uh, of people in our own family, people that we love, who we know knew Jesus in that way and who have passed on, we know that they have passed on to glory. Oftentimes Christmas is a difficult time for those who are remembering someone that they have lost. And we look to passages like First Thessalonians to encourage us on this very topic and listen to what it tells us. Brothers and sisters, verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. We will be with Him alive in heaven forever. And if you don't know Jesus that way, then now is the opportunity to change that reality because you have a choice and you have a response, just like the two. In the history of the entire world, there are only two types of people those who have accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, and those who will not. There is no third option. Will you come? Will you ask for His forgiveness? It's free. It's for criminals like me, it's for criminals like you. It changes everything. It removes our sin and our guilt and our shame as far as the East is from the West. I want to show you one more picture. This is a a picture that was drawn for me from a friend of mine named Keith. Keith is serving 20 years, and after he went to prison, he began to wrestle with these same questions. And in the picture that he drew for me, he was telling me, as we corresponded, that he was constantly bombarded with his guilt and his shame. He willingly admits that the thing that he went to prison for, he did. And so the the guilt and the shame has been absolutely overwhelming and and constantly, in in a satanic sense, points back at him. And yet he has come to understand the truth of the gospel. I am not, as he writes there, I am not a monster. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for him in exchanging his sinful life for Jesus' perfect righteousness. And even though he will serve every day of those 20 years, he was clinging and is clinging to the truth of Romans chapter 8. For I'm convinced, I'm convinced that neither height nor death, nor angels nor principalities, nor anything in this world to come can separate me from the love from the forgiveness, from the grace that I have in Jesus Christ. Keith knows it. Keith believes it. And his life is a testimony for all of us to be reminded of this same gospel truth and reality. Call upon Jesus. He forgives. And not only does he forgive, he enables us to forgive others, doesn't he? Let's take a moment. Let's pray together.